So welcome to episode four of the Speak Your Strength podcast, the mental health podcast that gives you the opportunity to share your story. I always go by the saying of don't be ashamed of your story, let it inspire others. And today I've got Melanie. Melanie messaged me over a month ago now sharing her own struggles with mental health, but also as well her daughter's struggles. And I was touched by the story as I am with most people that do reach out to me and I wanted to get her onto the show to really go deeper into everything that she went through, her own mental health struggles but also her daughters and dealing with it as a parent. So without further ado, I'm not going to give her any more introduction. I'm going to give Melanie a call right now and get her to speak her strength. So Melanie, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Hi, thanks. Yeah, I'm really well, thank you. No worries, no worries. So let's just, I want to hear your story basically. So just, I'm going to give you the full microphone, the full show just for the beginning and just, you know, take us back to maybe when you started to struggle with mental health. Okay, well, I was working very long hours. Um, I was working for myself. Um, I had a, I opened a big um, art centre and I had um, a business partner and 11 staff. Um, wasn't taking any wage, um, was working day and night, it was very, very, very stressful. Um, as a lot of people find when they work for themselves, there's no money and it's a lot of stress, but um, mm. I just the next level really. Um, I mean, I had a young daughter to look after and um, I was just stressed, really, really. That's the first thing I noticed. I was working hard and I was just really stressed. And, um, you know, my heart used to beat as soon as I'd get in the centre as soon as my day would start and uh, my first bit of anxiety was there as well um, and then after a few years of working you know 24-7 and giving it you know 110% at the detriment of my health and everything else you know I started you know I was smoking a lot I was drinking a lot I was drinking a lot of coffee um, you know and wine and smoking cigarettes and um yeah, I was not taking good care of myself at all. And um, people around me could sort of see I was sort of heading for some, something. But um, I was so determined to um, to make a success of it that I just kept plugging away, plugging away, plugging away. And was developing a complex website as well to take it from the centre to online. I thought that would ease all of our stresses. Um, and things just got worse and worse. And um, I went to the doctor because I was just getting very teary, very panicky. I'm feeling quite depressed, really. Our depression was, 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 was what I thought I had, and not certainly what he thought I had. And I was sent away with some pills, um, and uh, nothing, nothing helped. So I was going back to the doctor sort of regularly. My mum would take me as well, and they just keep prescribing different tablets, antidepressants, and I was told to rest. So I tried. I got to the point where I couldn't even work anymore. I could. I had. I, I couldn't work. I couldn't. I, my my brain started to misfire. I was starting to um, not be able to think straight. Mm. And at this stage, all the pressures had actually gone because I'd managed to get it online and um, relinquished the centre and everything was looking pretty rosy, really. I could have done what I'd achieved. Now we should be sitting back and... Um, so from the outside, it was almost like the stress had gone, like it's finally been solved, but inside it was a completely yeah, different story. Yeah. Oh, it was just the beginning, really, Paul. Um, yeah, um, I wasn't sleeping. I couldn't sleep. I was just wired. Um, still wasn't eating. 
were trying, they, they said just take some rest, they gave me some sedation pills, so I couldn't rest, I couldn't sleep, I started mm-hmm. having bizarre thoughts, um, paranoid thoughts, um, my business partner was conspiring against me, and um, just I'd get a little thought in my head, and it'd be magnified, and I'd sit there for hours, I couldn't, I couldn't write an email, I couldn't get the words together, I couldn't have a conversation, I couldn't write a text message, I couldn't rest, um, I couldn't do anything, I was... Um, just having all these bizarre thoughts, I couldn't watch the TV because I thought that thoughts were being implanted in my head somehow. Mm. And um, I mean, I'd, I'd sit there with my daughter and we'd be watching a, a film and she'd laugh when it was funny and I'd pretend to laugh along so that she wouldn't notice that I wasn't really laughing and then I'd get paranoid that she knew I wasn't really laughing. It was just uh, unbearable. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it was just awful. I started to think my limbs weren't working. I didn't think I could use my arms or my legs um, so what kind of happened with after all of that? You know, what was the next step? Did you go back to the doctors? Or? Well, I, I did, and my mum was really worried about me, and she paid me to do a psychiatrist and stuff. But I mean, you don't want to tell them everything, do you? You don't want to say, "Oh, well, you know, I'm having all these really strange thoughts," and uh, and I was suicide was starting to enter my my mind as well. Although I push it away because I think, no, I've got my daughter, I've, you know. But I knew something was seriously wrong, um, mm. and I. Just I was going to be locked away and branded insane, you know. And um, yeah, I I did talk to psychiatrists. I did tell them a little bit, um, but you think that they would at least have picked up on something, but they didn't. They just said I just needed to just rest, and that with time, you know, my then had very high anxiety. So my doctor referred me to a counsellor, which was trying to teach me some CBT techniques. I couldn't take it in, and they had to stop it because I couldn't even. My brain wouldn't allow me to take anything in of what they were actually saying and do my homework. I couldn't do it. So my, they just up my antidepressants, gave me some anti-anxiety pills, and, and all the rest of it. Um, nothing, nothing was helping. And um, it got to the stage where um, one day I was I was trying to cook a blooming omelette, um, which I'd done. Dozens, hundreds of times before, but not 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 recently, you know. And I, I just thought I'd just cook an omelette. Mm. I try, and um, hmm, I couldn't do it. And the eggs just kept going in the bin. I just couldn't do it. And as I stood there on the stove, with my eggs in the pan, I started to feel something really strange happening. And it was basically, I felt like my brain had slipped out my head. Finally, after months and months of decaying, and on the floor. Wow. And it was really scary. I was just mortified. I was so frightened. And, um, you know, things just got worse and worse. And I used to limp around my flat because I thought I couldn't move my leg properly. And um, it all came to a head one day where I couldn't, I couldn't take it anymore. And I took a load of pills and um, tried, to, tried to kill myself. And very luckily, um, I was found and taken to hospital. And they put me in front of the psychiatrist. I was... I made a fine recovery physically. I was absolutely fine. I couldn't talk to drips and everything, but mm. I was fine. And, um, Who and found you? Sorry, did it? Was it a... my daughter mm. and the guy I was uh, my boyfriend at the time? Uh, you know, and um, yeah, I mean, it transpired. I mean, I, I they, they put me in front of this, this psychiatrist who said, you know, look, because I tried to hang myself in hospital in the hospital as well when I realised that didn't work. As soon as I came round I thought, oh crap, it hasn't worked. And that's when I realised how much I wanted to die. Mm. And all I could do was just start getting out and throwing myself in front of the train. But they wouldn't let me out. And I noticed there was a long orange cord, a help cord in the toilet. 
and I'm with a chair underneath it and I went in and locked myself in and tried to tie it around my neck and they, they, they ran in and they put me in front of the psychiatrist who said, you know, look, we need to ascertain why you're trying to do this and I just said, I feel fine, I just want to go home. I said, absolutely fine, please let me go home and obviously it's all straight through it today. Not which is again just quickly that's, that's so good that they did because that's what happened to my dad you know and it was just my, my you know my dad my dad told him that because of exactly as you've just said he wanted to do what he did um and the final time you know they didn't they didn't put their foot down which is you know so good that they did in, in your situation because it must have been so hard for you just to you know. oh it was oh it was just awful but it transpired i was actually suffering from something called psychosis Mm. Now, I've never heard of this, and it didn't even come out yet at this stage, no thing you, uh, that I've been suffering with psychosis for seven months, which is the way they describe it to you um, in hospital. It's like the brain can kind of, you can stretch and stretch and stretch and stretch the stress and, and, and the pressure, but eventually something will give and it will break. And my brain has sort of essentially broken. And um, it was just, um, it's a very severe, awful, horrible mental illness to have, but it was so frightening, I was so scared, I didn't know what was wrong with me and that I'd ever get better, you know, I just thought this is it, I'm going to be branded insane and locked up, well they did lock me up, they sent me to a secure psychiatric unit and it was all my worst fears had come true, um, and it was in there I had an acute psychotic episode where I thought um, I was just a head on a stick, all my limbs weren't working and everyone was trying to kill me and I was screaming and howling and that's when they said, right, we were, the, the, they said to you've got psychosis and not what it is it's a, it's a very severe mental illness but it, it means we now we know what we're treating it's going to be a case of getting the right medication and time and support and you will get better and I did but that wasn't before spending three months in a mental institution mm. that was really harrowing um, but it got me better it got me better. You know, in time, I began sleeping more, um, bit by bit, and the desire to die melted away slowly. And um, they tried different drug concoctions and different medications um, on me, um, all antipsychotics, but they had some awful side effects. And, um, I mean, one of them made me go very stiff, like a statue. One of them made my tongue swell up and go stiff. Um people around me, some people were very, very sick, some people um, passed out, you know, there's a strong treatment dose, as they're called, but on the third, on the, well, no, more than, so on the third month, in, on the fifth or sixth different drug concoction they tried, it was like a light switch went on, and for me, what worked was something called a lanzapine, and, um, oh, I could, I could talk properly, I could think properly, I could laugh again, and Oh, I felt myself returning. Mm. It was absolutely my beautiful moment. Um, yeah, really amazing. And um, after three long months, I walked out of there completely fine, made a full recovery. So this is like, um, you know, there's a few few points from that story, and just you know, thanks for opening up and sharing that story. It's such a amazing story because of obviously where you are now and, and how different that story could have ended. Um, but what kind of got you through, you know, you've gone from someone having stress from work to then not being able to sleep to then, you know, suffering more and more to attempting suicide to then being told that you've got psychosis, was it? And ending up in, you know, being sectioned. 
what got you through those you know three months because i know i know if i go awful. from being stressed to just you know having that it's it was awful i hated it i hate being in there and i felt like i'd never get out um i felt institutionalized can you remember it quite clearly or was it kind of like yeah, a blurry period no i can remember it I can remember it. And I've written a book about my experience, as you know. Mm. Uh, it's called The Day My Brain Flipped Out My Head and Onto the Kitchen Floor. And um, it, it, it just documents everything. Because I'll tell you what, as soon as I got well and as soon as I got out of there, I'd never written a book before in my life, but I just knew I had to write a book because mm. I'd just come out and I had to write a book because it is everything you imagine and more. And not only that, it got me better, you know, it, it was a success story, it was something something for people struggling to aspire to, that there's hope, that you can go to the depths of hell, but you can get better, and I wanted to raise awareness mm. of psychosis, I'd never heard of it, and my family had never heard of that before, um, but mental health in general, how you can you can get better, you mm. can actually make a recovery, because I, at the time, I just thought, I'm going mad, I'm going insane, I'm, I'm mentally ill and I'll never get better. This is it. This is my life. And, and you know, facing that just didn't seem viable, which hence why I did what I did. I was so desperate. Mm. And I just thought, I can, if I can save one life, it was worth writing. Yeah, and I'm sure you've saved many more than that. You know, it's... It's, it's one of those things, like I've said to people before, it's that ripple effect, you coming out, sharing your story, writing a book, and you know that's gonna help one person, but then if they pass that on to their children or you know their grandchildren or friends, you're helping you know, far more. It's a message of hope, it's a message of hope, yeah. Mm. So then kind of what, what was the, what happened once you came out? So obviously <clears throat> you came out and um, yeah, you wrote the book, did you write the book straight away yeah. or? I started getting things down as, as I remember things. I'd write and jot them down. I had a little jot pad. And um, I thought I'm going to put it all together and write a book, you know. I, I just, and I focused on that. <clears throat> I focused on um, being a, a mum again with my daughter, who's now 11. 11. Um, and yeah, I just, you know, my family, I've got a really, really sort of close supportive family, my mum, my dad, my sister, and obviously my daughter, who went to stay with my mum and dad when I was in hospital. They only lived down the road, um, the next village along, and they're really close, got her own room there and everything. So we're all a really close-knit family. And I just was just enjoying time with my family, time with my friends. I mean, you get a, you get assigned a care worker if you have first episode psychosis and you're in hospital. They assign you a care worker when you leave for three years because the chance of relapse is so high. And she was amazing. She was called Beatrice, and she became a really good friend. And when I got married last year, she came to my wedding. Oh, wow. She's great to hear. And she's the most loveliest person. She always says to me, Mary, you are so unwell, and look how far you've come, you know. And, um, yeah, so I had a care worker, and she'd come and see me every week, and we'd go out for a coffee, and she'd just pop round. And life was really, really, really good. Life was better than it had ever been. Things, you know, were more beautiful than I'd ever seen them before, and I just appreciated everything. I laughed harder at things I found funny, and um, yeah, I felt like I had a whole new lease of life. And um, I just focused on me and my daughter, and life was brilliant. And then, <clears throat> a year to the day that I got released from hospital, something really awful happened to my daughter out the blue. 
because everyone said how well she coped with everything and um, she didn't seem troubled at all. She's a good girl, lots of friends, top of her class at school, a beautiful girl, lovely girl. And one day she took a massive overdose and she almost died. And how old was she then? Well, Wow. Yeah, yeah. She wasn't the troubled child. Well, she was, but nobody knew. She wasn't being. She didn't show any signs of. No, 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 no signs at all. So that must have been hard for you because it's kind of then, let's yeah. say, life's back on track, and then all of a sudden. Yeah, well, I was just desperately worried, and what I wanted to know was why she'd done it because I knew we had to ascertain why we'd done it, why she'd done it, but to get her the help to get her better. And she wasn't talking. And she just said, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm glad, it, I'm glad it didn't work. And I thought, yeah, that all sounds very familiar. I was glad it didn't work. And I mm. wasn't. I was just like a train. Yeah. And the, 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 the people bought a story, you know. Everyone said, oh, she's glad it, it didn't happen. And we had a lot of help and support. Don't get me wrong. We had um, social services were involved, obviously. The CAM, the Child and Adolescent Mental Health Service, and she had a, uh, which were amazing. She had a counsellor, an art therapist, the school was brilliant. And all this, we had outside agencies coming to the crisis team, everything. But um, they all, they bought the story that she, she was glad it didn't happen. It, it didn't work, you know, and I didn't. And I wanted to dig and find out why she'd done it, which they did as well. But, you know, it was going to take time. And I was just, every day, <clears throat> I was just worried. She's going to do it again. She's going to do it again. And um, it transpired. One day she told me... She didn't want to tell me, but she came into bed for a cuddle. This was a few weeks after it happened, and she was having therapy. And I was always, does anything come out? Does anything come out? I didn't know she'd been abused or anything. Just didn't know, you know. I knew she'd been self-harming because the night she took the overdose, we found the, the paramedic found a um, mark on her wrist, so that had come out. She'd been self-harming, but nobody knew why to help her. And she came into bed with me <coughs> for a cuddle, which is quite rare because she's not the most affectionate of little girls. And she always gets to know her own baby. And one day she came in for a cuddle and I just knew she had stuff on her mind. And she didn't want to talk. And I said to her very gently, but assertively, why did you do it, babe? And she just said, I'm not, I don't want to say you're going to judge me. I can't tell you. I can't tell anyone. And I said, you can. There's nothing that's so bad that you can't tell me. I promise you. You'll get it, you'll get it sorted. You can't. You can't. The transpired, she'd been hearing a voice in her head. She told me. She We sat up all night talking about it. She told me. That this nasty voice in her head, which started roughly about the time I got out of hospital, and it was very um, <clears throat> nasty. It would tell her horrible things that she's worse than everything that bad that ever happened to her fault, and that when somebody tells her that they love her, like I tell her all the time, I love you, it turns around and says no, she doesn't. And um, told her she's fat, and she's always, but she's uh, being told that she's fat and ugly, and um, laugh at her and be mean. And she'd been dealing with this for a year on her own. Mm. Beat it up. She got to the point of trying to defeat her constantly. It got to the point where she thought, yeah, okay, you can I can't carry on. And it transpired. I mean, I wrote everything. Once she'd gone to bed, once she'd gone to sleep, it was early hours in the morning. I sat up, made a cup of coffee. I was exhausted. I was drained and I was so upset from hearing everything. But I wanted to get it all down so that the psychiatrist could see it. And, that we, and I was so positive she'd get better. Now I knew what we were dealing with. I was so positive it would go. She said to me, Mum, the boys will never leave me. I said, I promise you, with the right help and support, darling, it will go. It won't, it won't. So 
So I sat and I wrote 15 slides of A4 at night. And um, next thing, I photocopied it the next morning so that everyone had a copy that, that needed a copy. All the, the psychiatrist, cans, everybody. And, um, I, I, and I took it to them and I said, right, I found out why she did it. And um, that really helped because then they knew how to, to counsel her and everything. And they also gave her child child appropriate medication and something called Philoxetine, which is on for about six months. Uh, children and um, would you believe with the right health and support she got through it but they did dig deep they found she had post-traumatic stress disorder mm. elements of psychosis elements of depression elements of an eating disorder that I didn't even know about but I would say as well before she got better it got worse because we had an, another she thought she was going to jump off a balcony uh, a 20 story high balcony um at one time she was walking into where the traffic was she wanted to die and um and we had self-harming i would have the school ring me up saying she's breaking into pencil sharpness to self-harm with the, with the blades and um, she was she was smoking and she's doing uh smoking you know pot and things um she was um she'd taken explicit pictures of herself and sent them to a boy and he sent them to someone else there was um Oh God, toxic friendship, uh, bad behaviour. I mean, we, she went through the mill. She had 15, 16 months of just hell, really. And it, it was just awful. And then it all got better. Which is great and, to hear. And was that, again, was it just what helped her? Was there anything in particular? Support. A lot of support was there for her. Because as with me, once she hit crisis point, i.e. a suicide attempt, all this help and support comes from yeah. everywhere so much help and support you, you, you can't believe it I, the, the, the worrying thing is it's not there beforehand is exactly. it exactly yeah to prevent uh, it happening in the first place yeah there. it was there um, yeah the therapy the counselling um, time the medication the support and um, she came through it and I, I've got to say this was five or six years ago she's 17 now and she's learning to drive She's got the whole world at her feet. She's studying law, and she wants to um, go and study in Hawaii to be a forensic accountant yeah, wow. or a criminal psychologist. She quite fancies that, and she is happy, healthy, and um, she's another success story. She's somebody that has come through it. It could have gone so easily the other way. That's so good to hear. Just quickly as well, in terms of you dealing with that did you ever feel like you might spiral down going through i well yeah i i went manic i was so relieved when she, she was in hospital for five days and she 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 made it you know she came through it physically she came through it anyway and she did die and uh, i was so elated i started running around and Oh, I had business, oh, my brain was firing on all cylinders, I had business ideas I was doing and talking really fast and my, my care coordinator picked up, she got the doctor around, she said, oh, you're manic, you're manic and um, if you, you're going to give me some drugs and you take them and if it doesn't help, you'll, you'll be back in hospital. And they did work and I was absolutely fine, I leveled out, thank God. But um, then a year later, they actually diagnosed me with bipolar because I'd had my psychotic down, psychotic depression and all that, and then I'd have the up of the mania, so they said you've got 
bipolar. So, I mean, I manage it really well because I, I try and stay away from stress. That's my trigger. Mm. Um, and, and I'm fine, really. I must have it mild. I don't know because it doesn't affect me too much. I mean, the way I get, the way it affects me, um, the bipolar, is my energy levels more than anything. I don't get caught by the negativity or anything like that. Um, but I, I just sometimes get <clears throat> really tired and um, lethargic. So my, my thoughts about my energy levels, other times <clears throat> I'm, I'm really high and I, and, I, and I don't want to sleep and I've got those ideas. So I'm, yeah. I do have a little bit in the middle, but I don't feel I have it bad. I, I feel very, very lucky that I can manage it. I'm on small dose of medication and it keeps everything just on an even keel and I'm fine. Um, with it, you know, and it was funny because when it came out, I was bipolar. All my friends and family said, "You're not surprised. You're very up and down. <laughs> nothing. You could have told you that, you know." Yeah. So we just—I mean, we had this—we had a discussion on Facebook yesterday as well about. You know, a lot of people that I've spoken to dislike diagnosis, so they dislike being labelled. Um, and a lot of people, you know, in terms of medication it's helped them but then there's become a period of a time where at the beginning it really put them more on a negative path and I think like you said you had that in the actual unit itself they tried different can you know different cocktails as, as people them. say they're called treatment doses they're much much stronger than anything the doctors issues out yeah treatment. yeah and I think uh, I think that's the awful. good we didn't want to take them we were all there trying to spit them out so then they give you yeah. the results one dissolve on your tongue you know yeah I remember when my dad was in you know the unit and that was the only real routine he had like this is the medication yeah. time like take take your meds and you know they literally I, shout medication yeah and they put it in little white pots like you see on the TV little white cups with your medication in yeah so again you know it's I, I feel they I feel they helped my dad but it was almost like once he had that you know, locked in a unit and testing, they helped. But when he first went to the doctors, of course, they didn't help because, um, you know, he'd never really took a paracetamol to cure a headache. And then all of a sudden, he's on these strong antidepressants, was told to double his dose, and within, you know, a week, attempted his, to take his own life. Um, but do you feel like the diagnosis helped give you clarity to move forward? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the word psychosis is not very nice. Uh, it sounds like psycho. It's probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say that. It's probably one of the hardest ones to probably hear, right? I didn't like it. Mm. But at least I knew I had something that was treatable. And they all kept saying, you will get better. And they kept telling my family, she will get better. It's treatable. You'll get better. So I that didn't kind believe of get, it, yeah, but yeah, I did. Yeah, you must have, like you say, you know, unconsciously believed that you could get better from it. Now you had this diagnosis of why you was the same with you know we were saying yesterday physical illness you feel maybe yeah. tired or you feel like something's not right you go in they give you that diagnosis and they give you a treatment plan for it yeah. um so that that helped you you feel like the diagnosis and obviously the medication later on helped you massively yeah yeah, yeah. but well, not before trying not before really hating it if you know what i mean i had to go through yeah. the part hating it all and if you, you know, if you'd asked me while I was in there, I'd have said, oh my God, you know, they're, they're giving me drugs and I hate it and I, you know, but looking back, it did help, but you have to go through all that, or yeah. I did, to get to the right concoction that's right for you. Mm. And like you uh, say, it's, it's so late for some people, you know, it's too late for some people when they hit that or they get that support and what you know, in terms of you moving forward now, so you and your daughter, I've got your book here, look, 
this is my second book that I've yeah, written. So this is the, so you've got you've got two books, right? You've got one about your story, and then this yeah. is the journey through childhood mental illness. So this is obviously more about um you as a mum. Um, yeah, about just, my daughter, yeah. Yeah, so just you know, I hate I hate asking you this question, but as a as a dad, what was harder dealing with her mental oh, illness her. or dealing with yours? Yeah. Her. Oh god, her, 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 every day because oh, it's just awful when you can't help, you so you can't do anything, and you see they're in turmoil. Yeah, it must be so hard. But I, I had the experience of going through something similar and knowing you could get out of it. So mm. I was always very positive that she would get better. And I think she must have been able to relate to you. You know, you you were the one who she opened up to. Um, you know, you were the one who yeah, essentially... Yeah, she's not a very talkative child. But she, she, didn't, she doesn't really talk about her thoughts, feelings, emotions. She's a very close book, always has been. It's a trait from her father, actually. She's not a very open person. Yeah, and she internalizes a lot, you know. But she she spoke to you, and I think you know if you hadn't maybe if you hadn't maybe gone through that, then maybe she hadn't. You never you never know, and I feel like maybe you know it's it's positive that you've overcame it. You've shown her strength as a mum that you've got to those low points, and then you've got better. So maybe that gave her the strength that she needed as well. Yeah, but there was also the guilt because I felt terrible that she'd Mm. gone through she'd gone through because of me. How did but, you deal with that girl? Right, because I realised I was very, 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 very poorly. Mm. I was unwell. I wasn't thinking. I wasn't in the right, in a good state of mind when I did what I did. Yeah. And I realised that you couldn't, you can't blame yourself. You can't. It's that I had it was in a grip to the dreadful illness. You know. Mm. Amazing. Very, I mean, it's, it's I mean, it's one of those stories that, like you say, it could have gone a completely different way. But I'm so happy that both of you have come, you know, come out of it, and you're doing you're doing better from it. And I, I'm also hugely appreciative of you sharing your story, especially here and through the books and throughout everything that you do, because I feel like it's going to inspire a lot of other people to be able to open up as well. Thank um, you. So yeah. Well, the book, so you've got The Day My Brain Sipped Out My Head and Onto the Kitchen Floor, and that's the first book about my experience, and that's available on Amazon, paperback and Kindle. And then you've got And When You Become a Diamond, which is the book you've got about my daughter's um, journey, yeah. and that's available on Amazon, Kindle and paperback. I started flicking through this today, and it's good because it's quite a quick read. I found myself, yeah. you know, going through a few pages and then thinking, you know, what I could probably complete this. Actually, so you just you get yeah. through it very, very quickly, and it is very it's quite it grips a short story. it yeah, grips yeah. it grips your attention. So it's a really, really good book. So I'll link up to those in the show notes. But just finally, you know, thanks for coming on and and sharing and speaking your strength. I really do appreciate it, and I'm sure a lot of people will as well. Thanks, Paul, and keep doing what you're doing because I think you're amazing that you already know that I'm a <laughs> No, I appreciate it. I always, I like compliments, so keep complimenting <laughs> me. Thanks very much, Melanie. Speak soon. Thanks, Paul. Bye. Bye. So, wow, what another powerful story. Thank you so much for Melanie to come on the show and take her own time out, but more importantly, have the strength, the courage to be able to share her own struggles, some of those darkest times, and share them with you. Hopefully, you've been touched by her story and again hopefully as as the main aim of this podcast is you've seen that someone opening up and talking about their mental health struggles is normal so please don't be afraid to do the same don't suffer in silence if you want to find out more about melanie's books and you can do so over on amazon i'll link up to them in the podcast show notes if you enjoyed this episode or any of the others that i've put out recently i'd love to hear your feedback in a rating and a review on itunes that would really help me it would help spread 
spread more awareness, break the stigma around mental health, and join the conversation, please do leave a rating and a review. Um, Once again, thank you to Melanie. Really, really do appreciate it. And I'll see you all in an episode very soon.